welcome to the Biohacker's Guide for Women Only. You are listening to The Art of Becoming Wonder Woman. I am Jessica Fernandez-Cruz. And I am Yen B. Trung. Life extension, longevity, biotech, digital health technology, and prevention are all the fields of health that we've been working in for over 15 years. We've worked alongside world-renowned physicians, Nobel laureates, experts, and top biohackers. We were at the forefront of a lot of the science that is being used today for biohacking. Our mission is to bring to you all this knowledge and information and create a biohacking community for women. Join us today on our journey into biohacking our bodies. Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome, Wonder Women. How are we feeling today? Oh my God, Yembi. Uh, I'm going to let you actually do the introduction now. <laughs> introduction. Hey, Jessica. Welcome, Wonder Women. Beautiful, beautiful Wonder Woman. We're so excited to have you uh, listen to us at our podcast today. Jessica and I were going back and forth. I'm not sure if many of you know that Jessica is a life coach and executive coach as well. And the conversation started with Jessica. Why don't we talk about, you know, the common thread that you're starting to see in conversations with whether it be clients or in even Clubhouse that that's starting to stem up because that conversation we can talk on a broader level in on our podcast on today's episode so that maybe we could help others because if if you're finding this common thread, this converse, the same conversations that happening that's happening, that means that other people are going through the same thought process or challenges or obstacles as well. And, you know, as Jessica and I started having the conversation around that, we we landed on something that that kind of both of us like, oh, you know what? There's this thing called the origin story that's very deeply ingrained in us. And I think Jessica is the best person to really dive into what an origin story is and how that stems to where we are today as humans, as an adults, and how we perceive the world and how we respond to what happens around us and what the world, when the world gives us something, um, how do we respond to it? Are we a part of what's happening or, or is the world happening to us, right? And so there's, there's all these reactive states that, that we can consider, but it all stems from what we call the origin story. And so, uh, Jessica, so happy to have you and uh, have you guide us today on, on this concept and this, this direction. This is awesome. I love this conversation, as you know, so I'm super excited to talk about this today. It's interesting because this is definitely one of the things that, you know, we all carry this at some point, some kind of, let me just go very slowly into this, but just for the people listening, who's the parent that you're always a little angry with? Sort of feel like, you know, my my dad didn't do this right growing up, you know, when I was growing up, he should have this and that, or my mother should have. And we all have a story like that. So it's okay. Don't feel guilty for saying this, but do write it down and know what that story is that you tell yourself. Because that's something to become familiar with. This is something that you're carrying with you, right? So what is this story about? Well, this is where I'm starting to create my victim story. You know, I'm not good at this because if my father had done this other thing, I would have been much better at this, for example. Or if my mother would have behaved in a certain way with me, I would have learned that, but I didn't have that opportunity. So 
we start creating these stories in our heads for very different reasons. And you look at people who have amazing parents and they have these stories and people be, be like, you're so ungrateful. How can you say that about your parents who are amazing parents and this and that? But these are our own personal experiences, how we live our story and from what space we live our story that even in a big family, it's, it's fun to see, you know, each child has a different experience. So if you have four brothers and sisters, they don't have the same parents. <laughs> they do have the same parents biologically, but their experience with their parents is completely different. And I like to highlight this because this is the first thing to realize that this is your story in your head. And therefore you can work on that story to make it a story that works for you and not against you. So I don't want to go too deep because otherwise it gets very complicated to start off. But the first thing to ask and to realize is, you know, what is my story, my origin story, right? What is it? What is it about? What do I tell myself all the time? I can't because if my family had, this is how our sentences go, right? Well, the the, the story itself is that we, it's not just the concept of origin story, but through our entire life, we make up stories about everything. Everything is made up in our head, right? And so I'm always very hesitant to say that something's factual, right? Because we every we all perceive that something that we see as facts, where it's our own facts that we made up in our head. But when you introduce that quote-unquote fact to somebody else, they're like, no, that's not right. And that's where conflicts and and contrast starts happening with between people and whether it's relationship, whether it's business or work, whether it's, you know, it's, it's a perception that we've made up, built that story. And then we find reasons to reinforce that story for us to feel comfortable that we made this story up. And so um, we, we look for all the quote unquote facts and evidence to say that that is a fact. But at the end of the day, we're if we're, if we really take our step back and look at it and say, we just made up that story in our head. And I think it, it stems deeper because when you think of you're going back to our childhood with our family, that's where you start conditioning yourself in how you make up the stories, right? As you continue, because within a big, in the, the core of your story of how you reinforce is you start making up all these little stories as you grow up. Right. But the stem of it comes from how you how you interacted as a as a child and how you were you were part of like the family, like like you mentioned. Right. I want to highlight something for what you say, because people who are not very familiar with observing their inner dialogue will not be comfortable when you tell them that what they're thinking is not true. But I do want to say something is that the if you think of stress, which is such a common thing in our society, right? who doesn't suffer stress, the main cause of stress is our inner dialogue. That's where our stress begins. So the inner dialogue is probably the first thing that I would tell anybody to observe and try to become a real observer of that inner dialogue without judgment, which is the difficult thing to do. Can you observe your inner dialogue without any judgment? Just look at it. And with this idea, First of all, try to become familiar with the concept that your inner dialogue doesn't always have to be true. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. But most of the time, when there's 
And this is the the part where you want to be, if you want to hack your inner dialogue, because we talk about biohacking, right? So let's hack our inner dialogue. The first thing you want to take away in your sentences is any term that is a judgment, because that's where we start creating stories that are going to trigger our emotions in some way. I'm judging my parent for the way he was my father or my mother, the way they treated me, the way I've been treated by somebody or the way things are done. When I start judging, I start creating that pain inside of me. So if you could take the judgment away and just simply start learning how to define things without judgment, that would be for me, if I have to say something very quickly, obviously this would require coaching sessions to really work on your story and what it is that you need. But if, if I don't know, I cannot hear you, your story, the listener on the other side, but you can. So let me help you find the way of creating a story that is going to benefit you and not hurt you. So try to tell the story in a way where you only define facts. You can only define facts. So if you go back to your origin story that you've been telling yourself your whole life, and I, first of all, every feeling you have is legitimate. Every pain you've been through is legitimate. Have compassion for that feeling because it was real and it hurt you. And therefore, it's okay that you went through it. But now make the decision to say, I'm ready to change my perspective. I'm ready to see this the way it is. And actually, I need to get rid of this way of thinking because it's not helping me move forward. So the first thing I would say is make the decision with yourself to say, I'm ready. I do want to shift the story. I want to look at this differently. How do I do this? And recognizing that the pain was there, be very gentle with that because this is a very fragile part of your life. So we treat it with a lot of respect and compassion. Where do you find that people have the hardest time of, let's say they're aware of the pain and the knowing to let go of a certain pain or, or idea or thought cycle that keeps coming up and causing more pain, right? Sometimes people recognize it, but they can't let go of it. What is that reason why people can't let go of this thought cycle that keeps reoccurring in their mind that, that won't allow them to let go? Why do people keep bringing that thought cycle back, knowing that it's, they, they don't want to think about it? Like what, Why is that? So this is a be- beautiful question and so powerful when you can start working on this. The thing is, we have patterns in our behavior. This is what we're used to doing. We don't know better. and you and I know this because that's why we're biohackers. We want to evolve. We want to shift. We want to optimize. So we're always ready to learn how to do things differently. The thing is, in general, people are not, do not have a habit of doing things differently. They actually think that the way they do things is the way things are supposed to be done. So they don't even question the fact of hey, maybe this way of thinking could be different and even better. Now, the people listening here, I know everybody who's listening is listening because you guys are ready to make changes. You guys are ready to see things differently. And therefore, it won't be that difficult for you to question your thoughts to the point to say, hey, maybe this thought is not true. Maybe I need to train myself to work on my inner dialogue. And this is the challenge here, really, is can I work on my inner dialogue? 
I love mindfulness as a source of, you know, knowledge that really helps you train that inner dialogue to make it an, a, a factual inner dialogue. You know, we are used to the judgments in our inner dialogue. If we take that away and we create a factual inner dialogue, or at least try to shift towards that as much as possible, we release a lot of pain. And then it's also, there's also the other part where, and you know this really well, where we're balancing our life between past, present, and future, right? The only real thing that we have is the present, but our mind is constantly going back to the past or to the future. This is why mindfulness is so useful. We stop that pattern of thinking and we come back to the present moment. And that helps us not get, you know, so attached to thoughts that have to do with the past or thoughts that have to do with the future. We are more able to release and let go of those thoughts and come back and focus on what is happening right now. Again, when we create the story from a factual perspective, the pain factor of it is much less, which doesn't mean that there's no pain. But here's the other thing is, the other thing that we don't practice enough is being okay with uncomfortable emotions. That, that is a problem. Therefore, the pharmaceutical you know, the, the drug epidemic, because people are trying to quickly drown away the pain as opposed to going through the process of feeling the pain and then coping and learning how to overcome that pain and growing from it. It's trying to drown out the pain very quickly. And therefore, alcohol and drinking, you know, these are all coping mechanisms. And you brought up a, and I just wanted to make a point with regarding the past, present and future. There's a saying that when you think about the past, you're depressed because you think about, oh, this could have happened or I wish I had done this. So you get depressed. And then when you think about the future, you have anxiety because, oh, I have to do this. This may happen. This is going to happen. So you're thinking about all the things that may happen that probably won't happen. And then you start getting stressed. And so you made up these stories because a lot of people suffer from anxiety and stress and chronic stress because they think about all the things that may happen and they try to control that, that process. Whereas if you just kind of be present, the only thing you have right now is what's in front of you and what's present right now, living presently, because everything that's happened in the past, that's already done. There's no control of that. It's been there. And then everything in the future, just like at any point, there's this, there was this meme that, you know, if there was a bet on where you would be five years from now, we would have all lost that bet, right? Because we had no idea there was going to be a pandemic. And, it, and it's kind of like when I went to Fiji, I said, we're just going to go to Fiji. I don't care, you know? And, and then look at the pandemic. Everybody had plans for what they're going to do over the next year and a half and two years, right? But you just don't know what's going to happen. And so you can't live in the what may happen. And that's where the anxiety and stress are stirring. You just got to be re be responsive to what happens today, you know? And, and that's where the mindfulness practice comes in. And there's also, I like to bring in two concepts that are important to understand. One is pain is one thing. Suffering is a different thing. Pain, you can't elude pain. Pain will be there. It's as if you kick me in the knee, it's going to hurt. Now, if I focus on the pain in my knee and I start telling myself a story 
that is around this pain in my knee because now I'm not going to be able to play golf and I can't go and visit my friends now. And, and I create this story around the pain. Now, this is a very, you know, a physical pain that I use, but let's talk about, an, you know, a more emotional pain, for example, a loss, you know, a boyfriend that you break up with your boyfriend or, you know, a relationship with your parents that is not that great. And it hurts when they say something that is nasty and you feel bad. You can feel bad in that moment and let it go, or you can create a story around that and then you create a suffering story. And this is a very important point because this is the trigger where if I'm thinking about the past and I can just have that moment of that was awesome, I wish I had it now, and it's okay, you can go there. But are you now creating a whole story about how the past was so much better and you're lingering in the story? Now you're suffering about the past. The same thing happens with the future. Of course, you create a present and you think about the future and you get a little bit nervous about, wow, will this happen or not? That's a thought that can give you a moment of an emotion that can be difficult. But are you stuck there? And how is the story you're telling yourself around the suffering? And there's an equation that I really like that describes this very well. And it's this that was the second point I want to make is the resistance. So the concept of resisting what is. I don't want this to be the way it is. And this is what's causing the suffering in me. So the equation is suffering equals pain times resistance. So if I'm resisting times 10, then it's 10 times the pain. If I'm resisting times 100, then it's 100 times the pain. And if you want to know if you're suffering right now, or if it's simply pain, just ask yourself the question, what am I not accepting? And if you can't really respond to that, because you'll have the, your first answers are always a little bit more superficial until you find the real core of what is going on, is the second question is, what am I resisting? And then keep asking yourself, is there anything else that I'm not accepting? Is there anything else that I'm resisting? So acceptance of the past and resisting of what may come from the future. We want to work with these two words to let's say, open up the suffering and really discover what's in my story in my head. Once an individual discovers the, the suffering and where it's coming from or, or where, it's, where it's coming from and where it's originating or, or whatnot, what tools and what thought process do you use to help with that so that they can, is it an acceptance? Is that basically the underlining thing to do is just accept this is for me, like when we can unfold this equation and just put it on the table, this is the Wonder Woman moment, because this is where the Wonder Woman has to come out. This is what we were talking about. You go from the victim to the person responsible, you own your power back, because now it's your decision. Now you know there's a story, and now you decide what you want to do with it. This is what I like, what I love about coaching is I always say, you know, when you work with people and you coach people, you give the people their power back and you're not actually giving it to them. You're helping them find it. It's in them all the time. They just don't, they get stuck in a story and it's like, let's open the curtains for you so that now you can see and now you can make the decisions that you need. Just accepting that. And, and I tell you, if you have a real story of anybody who's listening right now has something that you feel you're suffering, ask yourself, what am I resisting? What am I not accepting? What do I need to accept? And if you genuinely accept that, 
you will feel the weight will lift off your shoulders. And now you can start moving forward, which is what we're looking for. I would also say the one thing that I don't know if it's our society or the dynamics in, in our society, but a lot of people become very overwhelmed around unrealistic goals. And this has a lot to do with this, you know, you and I talked about this before the show, the imposter syndrome and these, this feeling that I'm not enough and that I don't fit in, that I don't know enough, I'm not good enough for this. The imposter syndrome, if you ask the greatest, most famous entrepreneurs, successful entrepreneurs, they will share with you the story about their imposter syndrome. I mean, few people who have been successful have not had an experience of imposter syndrome at some point. The thing is that, and this is one of the, of the steps in emotional agility, is are you able to push through that fear? Are you able to push through those thoughts and just carry them with you? And why is this important? Because fear is always going to be there in your life. It's, it's, it's a natural, you know, this as a biohacker, you know, it's, it's, it's an instinct. We have it because it, it had a reason. All our emotions had a reason to be in, in our social life. You know, the depression, the sadness that we create. If you just look at the body, the body goes down, your head goes down. Like you can really look at a person and know that the person is sad and depressed. And this was something that the body did so that the community would know that that person needed to be cared for. So that's why our body expresses it and we express it that way. The joy or, or happiness is a way of connecting with the community to stay together because I'm vulnerable on my own. So I need my resource to connect was the smile, that powerful pose, that energy, right? And then anger, you know, we get super angry, we scream. That was to scare away predators. So all of the things that we go through have a reason. And we should, first of all, know that they're part of our life and it's okay. Only that now we don't need to sit with those emotions as long as we needed in the past because our system is a little bit different. I'm glad you brought up the community because I think something that everyone should understand is that the things that they go through, the feelings that they go through is normal as humans, as part of our bio biology, our part of evolution or biochemistry or chemistry. And so when, when people go through the feelings of sadness, of pain, of suffering, this is part of what others go through as well. So they're not alone. It's not something that can't be solved and it shouldn't be solved alone either, right? It's something that that we all have gone through it on multiple, many, many occasions. It's not just, oh, you look at a person that has a facade or that seems like they have it all together, that seems that they're powerful, that seems that they're wealthy and have an amazing life, especially on Instagram or something. But they all go through this feeling of imposter syndrome is, you know, is somebody going to find out that I don't know what I'm doing? Is somebody going to find out that I'm just starting? Is somebody going to find out that, you know, I'm trying to figure this out like everybody else is, right? It's, it's everybody has that. And as you said, you know, you can ask the, the top, top CEO entrepreneur there at some point, And this happens over and over because as we grow, we go on to the next rung of the ladder and it's a new experience and a new growth that we're challenged with. And then that process, that 
quote unquote imposter syndrome feeling starts to come back because you're at a different level. But all it means is that you're growing. And so you have to shift your mindset to say, actually, you know, I'm here because I accomplished something else. And so therefore I'm here today with a new opportunity to grow. Right. And so that's so we, we have to change that that quote unquote imposter syndrome mindset as a defeating mindset and use it more as a growth mindset. So there's one thing to remember here, because I see that a lot with clients who are trying to make changes. And especially I'm thinking of two that are now becoming entrepreneurs. And I think it's very interesting to change from employee to entrepreneur because it's you need that. You need that power in you. Otherwise, you can't continue being an entrepreneur. But what happens and what limits people most is that for some reason, we have this belief that we have to wait until the fear is gone, as if the fear was ever going to leave. This is very funny, right? So it's like, no, you know, I just, I had a client the other day. This was a beautiful story because uh, she was having a very hard time with the pandemic, super scared for COVID. Like she didn't go outside, didn't do anything. And, you know, we were talking and she said, no, I, I, I can't. Like, I really can't. I don't. I'm so scared. I'm like, hmm. So when will you be able to go outside? She says, well, when I stop being scared. I say, okay, when will that be? Do we wait? Shall we wait then until you stop being scared? Or is, is there any day that you know you're going to stop being scared, right? And I, ironically, I say this, but of course, what I mean here is the fear is there and it'll be there in different forms. Maybe it's not this story, it's another story and the next story and the next story. But the fear is the story in your head. So you can coexist with that story. And therefore, what I want to do is just, if you want, do it with me. Put your hands, just lift your hands in front of your face and put them together as if they were an open book, okay? And just lift them all the way up until they're right in front of your eyes so that you can only see your hands in front of you. This is your fear. And when you come and, you know, when clients come and talk to me about their fear, their fear is standing right there. You can look to the right and to the left, but when you look forward, you only see your hands. So it's not allowing you to interact with the world normally. You're actually very limited by this fear. What I propose you to do is that you understand that the fear is going to be with you, but it doesn't have to be in front of you. So now just simply open your hands and put them on the sides of your ears and leave them there. Your fear is going to be there with you. It's accompanying you, but it doesn't need to be in front of you and keep moving forward. Now I can look forward. Now I can go. So the exercise, and this is a physical representation of it, but try to, you know, when you look at your hands, name the fear. Let's say what could be the fear. I'm not a good enough coach in my case, right? So if I have this, this fear, then I can't coach. I can't coach because the fear is right in front of me. But if I push it to the side and I start coaching, then little by little, this fear becomes less and less because I realize, actually, I am a great coach. Actually, I'm doing an amazing job. And I keep coaching and I do better and I keep moving forward. So working with fears is very interesting as well. I think that everybody carries certain kinds of fears. It's what you do with those fears in your life what is going to either inhibit you from doing anything or 
create a habit where you can do something with those fears and just keep moving forward despite the fears. This is really Steve Jobs would tell you a story like that. Jeff Bezos or any of the big guys, of course, they've been scared to make different decisions, but they did it despite the fear. And this is one of the points in, there's there's a great book, if anybody wants to learn about emotional agility, um, I'm trying to think of the name of the author, Susan, well, the, the title of the book is Emotional Agility, and her name is Susan, and I can't forget, I forget the last name, uh, but she's a PhD from from Harvard. So I gave you a lot of information, we just need her last name that I forget. Um, emotional Agility is called, but this book is great. It's a very, it's a book for psychologists because it's very thorough about the different psychological aspects of emotional agility. So you have to like that kind of reading. But at the end of the book, she summarizes everything in 10 steps. And one of the steps is actually this one is learning to coexist with your fears without letting your fears actually limit you. So would you say that fear stems from, for a lot of people, the unknown or the story they've made up that contributes to the unknown? Well, there's many things, right? Because fear can stem from many things. But I would say if we want to simplify it, since we have talked about this in the past, you remember the six human needs that we talked about in our other episode. So certainty, uncertainty, love and connection, significance, growth and contribution. This is a good guide to look at because my fear might have something to do with these needs. So it's simply to see, you know, if I do this, I'm going to lose my significance. Or if I do that, I'm going to lose my love and connection. Or so I'm afraid to disconnect from these needs. I, I would say to simplify it, because otherwise we go into very complex ideas around fear. But this is for, in a, in a practical term, look at the six needs, what's going on, what is happening in, with this fear and how is that related to those needs? Is there an attachment to one of those needs that makes it fearful to have a loss of those needs? There's a rule normally. You've created a rule around the need. So if something doesn't meet that rule, then you think, ooh, if that doesn't happen, then this need is not going to be accomplished or it's not going to, which is still something you don't know because you haven't experienced it, but it's your idea, the rules that you've created. This is one of the things that we work on a lot in the sessions is what are your rules? Are they helping you? And then if they're helping you, keep them. But many of those rules are the ones that are not allowing you to move forward and, and you know, have a fruitful life and more importantly, thrive, which is what I always try to <laughs> bring to the people that work with me is to live a thriving life and just be fully present and enjoy every decision that you make without fear being in the middle, right? Right, right. I hate rules. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, but here's the thing that's why you create you practice this in a way where you're so able to change your perspective to look at things differently i would say you want to practice this be with people from different nationalities people who have very different cultures who do things in a totally different way than the way you do things and just see yourself in those contexts and for once don't judge just observe and incorporate whatever may serve or not. You know, you and I, for example, we come from two different cultures and different realities, but we embrace each other's reality. We don't judge each other's reality. You know, I'll ask you, I'll be curious and you'll be curious about my life. If the judgment is in the middle, 
then how can you and I connect if I'm judging everything you're telling me already? But we do that with ourselves. So let's remember that this is the first place where we need to judgment is inside. And then we can start doing the same thing outside. <laughs> it's really interesting how, like, like you said, we, we seem to always be so hard on ourselves, right? With the judging, especially because a lot of times when, when you see people judge others, you can only imagine how hard they judge themselves and what they put themselves through, right? Because we're always so much more difficult on ourselves with expectations. And when we do something wrong, or when we succeed or we don't succeed or when we fail or whatever the the negativity words we want to use and then how we judge ourselves based on that and we build this this rule of what we think is perfect and we try to live up to this little box that we put ourselves in and these borders that make up this box are these rules that we say that we have to follow these in order to be perfect to have this life that's that that others you know, and, and I think a lot of it comes from us comparing ourselves too. when we start looking at, and this is where like a lot of the problems come from social media when people, and there's a lot of studies on this with how people are depressed and have anxiety because they look at others life on social media and they, they build these walls and these rules and these borders of thinking that, that what, that's what perfection is. And that's what life is. And that's what it takes to be happy, right? And then they start comparing. And I, and I think we had this conversation in the clubhouse room on what's called like imposter syndrome, right? Because there was a lot of millennials going through imposter syndrome because they're at the height of social media. They came in when they're just starting to be their own and professionally in this world and doing things for themselves and having homes and families. And then all of a sudden you're starting to compare yourselves to your, your peers on social media with all the, the influencers and all that. And, and the, these people, then that's when they start building imposter syndrome too, because they co- start comparing and saying, well, that's what reality is. They, they think that that's what reality is. And then they can't live up to a quote unquote reality that they're seeing. And so that's where, you know, what, what is your rule for what perfection looks like? Because there really isn't a perfection. There's only growth, but there isn't a quote unquote perfection. Perfection is, it's just some border that, that you've made up for yourself, really. It's just a box you put yourself in. And I like that you bring this up because it's not only that you become obsessed with that perfectionism and you try to reach it all the time, but with that inner dialogue, you're missing out on your beauty. You're not allowing that which makes you unique to come out. You sort of silence that even. It's like that part of you stops existing for you. And you just obsess with the idea of, I have to be like that other person. So imagine how much you, you lose in a process of comparing yourself and, and you know, just think you have to be in a certain way. Again, this is the biggest pain in your inner dialogue is thinking that things should not be the way they are. So remember, whenever the thought is heavy, am I again thinking that things should not be the way they are? Because it is in this dialogue that we start building up comparison, evaluation, judgment, perfectionism, all of this comes there. So let's go back slowly, slowly, slowly and say, what if things are great the way they are? It's just, I need to look at the things that I'm not looking at. I'm looking at the other things, but not at the things that are right in front of me. And that's, that's also one of the things that I work a lot with the people is that you're so obsessed with where you want to be that you're not even aware of where you are right now and who you are. Many people don't even know who they are. It hurts, it's painful sometimes to really see that. 
And then there's, there's another, this I want to share because I know a lot of people can relate to this. And this has happened to me several times. The story about people coming from a reality that is very strict, very constricted reality. So let's say a village or a religious family or, you know, something with a lot of rules. Like, you know, you were just saying all these rules that we have. And this person goes and lives in another city and has a different reality and they expand and they go and live in different countries and they feel so great. And then they come back to their village and guess what? In their village, nobody cares that they've been anywhere or success or anything. And they say, actually, you know what? You should have become a teacher. It's a shame that you didn't become a teacher. And this person is, I don't know, a successful designer or you name it, right? But from their perspective, their rule really is like the stability of being a teacher and having a fixed job and things like that. And then there's this other story that I love. I think it's just too funny, especially for women. And since we're Wonder Women, this conversation is is worth it. Everybody is married with kids at 25, of course. And there you are being 30. And everybody's looking at you saying, are you going to be a grandma mom or what's your plan? Right? The judgment immediately of, wow, you're doing everything wrong. And she goes there thinking that she's the super successful person. And then suddenly everybody is putting all their judgments on her. And now she's questioning herself and thinking, maybe my life is not as great as I think it is. This is so often. Yes. It's crazy how, and that's part of how we make up our stories in our head, right? And like you said, you can go into a, a village and all of a sudden your reality is different. You made up a total different story about yourself based on where you are, what you see, how people communicate with you, how you interact with others. And the same is, you know, you could be in one country and come to another country, come to the U.S., and then now you build another story about yourself, and then you start putting yourself through the suffering of the stories that you've made up. And that's why you said it's, you have to find out who you really are. When you find out who you really are, that's that's the stability that you carry with you, regardless if it's a village or a country or a city. So this has to do with the concept of identity. What do I identify with, right? And who are the people that are important in my life? Because these people are the ones that can strike my identity. I can actually even change my identity for a person that is very important in my life. So it is standing in your grounds and really like creating this strong pillar that it doesn't matter what other people think or do around you. You are very sure of who you are, who you want to be. And you understand as well, and this is also another part of emotional agility, is understand that you're in constant evolution. You're not rigid. So this part of you is also always able to adapt, to change, to grow, to become without the fear of, you know, if I let go of this, then I stop being this person. Be careful with too much with this over-identification, right? This case of this girl that I brought, she felt so proud of herself that suddenly when she goes to this village, she stops being proud of herself. How can that happen? You should still be able to be proud of yourself. You don't need to stop being proud of yourself because somebody that you love says something different or sees the world in a different way. That's what you need to work on, right? Your identity cannot just be my identity is worth it when everybody else is valuing it. This is then her story here, okay? So careful with that. And it happens a lot. 
is very common. One last thought, uh, Jessica, before we, we end the show is the identity of what others people, the identity we put on ourselves based on what others think about us, right? Because it seems that we care so much about what others think, especially for some reason, a lot of people care more about what the the negative things that other people say that are maybe not good for you, that you know is wrong. It makes you feel bad, but why do you, why does that, is it because the ego is damaged? What, what is it that makes us attached to these words that others say about us that we carry with us to really try to reinforce our belief about ourselves. We'll end with that so that you and I can talk about this for like 24 hours. (laughs) We can do a marathon. (laughs) But this is so beautiful that you bring this because it's such a pain point for everybody. I think, you know, every single person has experienced this feeling at some point especially when you're in in times in your life where you're confused or you don't know what to choose or you don't know what you really want to do. Those are very vulnerable times where this this whole identity thing becomes very painful because I'm nobody. And suddenly, you know, my father, who's my figure of everything to the outer world is represented through my father. So he says, I should do this. So maybe that's what I should do. But I stop. This is very dangerous when we enter in that that place, right? We want to belong and we want to be loved. That's definitely the two things that make us human. We are social beings. It is important for us to belong and be loved. And I would say we're very much driven by that. And therefore, many times we will give up our own identity thinking, because this is a thought, it's not a fact. That if we are the persons that we really are inside, we're going to be rejected. What we forget, and I want to give this as a final thought, is that each one of us is unique. And each one of us has something to bring. That if you give up on that, you are not bringing to this world what the world is waiting for and needs. And I know it sounds so cliche, but I want to give you an example. Yenvi and I do this podcast together. We could do this podcast being in competition. Who knows more? Who knows more about this? Oh, she's so good at this. I should be better at that. And it would be probably a great podcast because there would be a lot of information here. I don't know. That sounds stressful. <laughs> <laughs> sounds horrible. <laughs> Thank God we're not in that page. <laughs> sounds stressful. I know. <laughs> the, the beauty of, of this is that because we're both in our ground and we feel that we have something to add, we stay where we are and we both see that in each other as well. I mean, I can perfectly see that uniqueness in Yenvi and I know Yenvi sees it in me. And we put that together and create something even better. If we were both in the competitive mode, I don't know that we would be able to create something that would be so focused on serving like we are, on listening to what our audience really wants, on creating something powerful and valuable. And that happens because we've done the work, because it's not that we did this overnight. You and I have done the work to find that identity that we really feel connected with. And we are the person that we want to be. And every day we work on that. It's not every day that we wake up and we're like, oh, it's so easy, you know, but there's, there's this commitment to that. And I would encourage everybody who hasn't done it yet to try to give yourself the opportunity and to 
if I can just end with three words to bring to your life, if you feel that your life is difficult or that you're not there yet, or that things are tough to, to deal with, three words, compassion, courage, and curiosity. The three things to take with you every single time something is difficult. How can I bring compassion to this moment? How can I bring courage to this moment? How can I be more curious in this moment? Wonderful. I love it. I love courage. I'm at curiosity. <laughs> curiosity is, is one compassion. of my <laughs> I love compassion. <laughs> yes, yes. Come on. <laughs> I love curiosity. It keeps me going. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Yeska. I, I learned so much in this episode from you. And you brought up a lot of, I, I think the audience is going to you know, learn a lot and give them some direction. Because I know that just in Clubhouse, just in conversations, just in forums, I can see the pain that's stemming from many of these questions that people are putting in. I, that was our goal for this episode is how do we address the, the pain, this common thread of pain? And whoever's listening to it, I hope this was very helpful for for you. And please join our Facebook group, The Art of Becoming Wonder Woman, where you can ask questions, interact, and ask Jessica and I questions from our episodes. And we're there to guide and help you wherever you need it. Jessica is a life coach and a business executive coach as well. And so, you know, if you need some guidance from her, please, we'll, we'll put the link on the bottom of the summary of this episode and then you can reach out to her but you can also reach out to her in our group and don't forget make sure you subscribe to our podcast because that helps us out a lot and keeps us going and helps us help others as well and so thank you everyone for listening have a great day thank you take care bye-bye you've been listening to the art of becoming wonder women the podcast Thank you for being a part of our community. If you haven't yet, join our private Facebook page and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join us next week for another Wonder Women conversation. Our podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any question you may have regarding a medical condition.